Amen. Amen. Thanks for that stellar introduction and uh, much better prayer. Much appreciated. <laughs> so, uh, as you've discovered, my name is Bill Hogg. I've been parachuted in here uh, as part of your multiplication series, uh, Multiply. And I'm going to address the issue of why multiply. As you've already heard, I work for C2C Network, which is the Mennonite Brethren church planting arm, but much more, because it's morphed into a national intertribal church planting and multiplication network. How many of you know uh, that God's purposes are bigger than any one denomination? Yeah, okay. Seven or eight of you, praise God for that. That's good. (laughs) And so we work with about 20, 22 evangelical denominations because what unites us is infinitely greater than what divides us. Denominations have some special, unique distinctives, maybe even some convictions that would mark them out as distinctive from each other. But at the end of the day, all of those things pale into insignificance compared to the power, the beauty, the truth, the significance, the supremacy of Jesus. So we're a network that wants to uh, lift up Jesus from coast to coast. Uh, We get our name from Psalm 72 verse 8, which says, He shall have dominion from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. So sea to sea network is a church planting multiplication network, but really we want to be in the business of lifting up Jesus from coast to coast. And we would invite you to stand with us in prayer. Uh, There's a whole slew of us set our iPhones and your Samsung Galaxies, if you wish, uh, to 10.02. And they go off at 10.02, sometimes at the most inopportune moment, but it's a reminder of Luke chapter 10, verse 2, where the Lord Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. And so we're praying that prayer and invite you to stand with us that Jesus would disrupt and deploy uh, leaders all across the country, scatter them into rural, suburban, and urban centers uh, to plant the gospel, that God would empower them by his spirit, and that God would resource them with the people, the dollars needed to get the job done. Last year, uh, we had a church planting assessment center in Montreal, or as I should say, Montreal, s'il vous plaît. And uh, <laughs> church plant assessment center is, is one of our practices in discerning uh, who should plant a church. Because it's a unique breed that are anointed by God the Holy Spirit to have the capacity to kickstart a brand new gospel expression. And so if you've ever seen the movie, The Right Stuff, which is about the birth of the space program, traces the history of NASA, and they were grappling with the question, how do we find astronauts? And so they put them through rigorous physical and psychological testing. They even extracted bodily fluids from them to see if they had the right stuff. And that's what we do at assessment center, except you get to keep your bodily fluids. So it's pretty intense. It's pretty invasive. And uh, a manageable assessment center is six couples, uh, maybe eight planter couples. Last year in Montreal, in the spring, we had 11 planter couples. And uh, five of them were francophone couples and uh, six of them anglophones. And for some bizarre reason, they put the Scotsman 
in the francophone stream because we decided we'd do a francophone stream, an anglophone stream, bring people together. So they put me in the francophone stream. Je m'appelle Bill, je suis écossais, je parle français un petit peu. And that was just enough to convince them I should be in there. So, I, you know, I had no idea what was going on. I mean, during the call presentation, someone could have been preaching heresy, and I would be going, huh? Excusez-moi? And so we had a great time. Remarkably, as we looked at the pre-assessment material, we saw particularly the Quebecois couples were especially strong, solid candidates. And at the end of assessment center, which is the biggest one we've ever run, we green-lighted all 11 couples. And October of last year, late October, early November, one of the planters who was deployed from the spring Montreal assessment center planted his congregation, booked a room, in Montreal that could hold about 120 people. 400 people showed up. Yeah, fantastic. So people brought their friends, and then there was some curious Quebecois said, what is this, a brand new nightclub? (laughs) And so they showed up. Now this guy's a Pentecostal, so there's no messing. And he just brought it and preach Jesus and call people to Jesus, and the very first night, people get saved. So, and that's what church planting is all about. Now, if you were to ask Patrice Nagon, our regional director, why is there little green shoots of, of gospel fruit popping up in the hard, parched soil of Quebec, which is the most unevangelized territory in all of the Americas, he says, because we're praying Luke 10 verse 2. This May, June, we've got 18 planter couples lining up for Quebec. It's nuts. And we're going to do two separate assessment centers. So we would invite you to pray God's up to something, but it's just a little drizzle at the moment. And what we need is a downpour. So please stand with us. So C2C, we ran a conference in March in Vancouver, a national conference, 840 Canadian leaders showed up. It was called Multiply. And we asked the question, what if every church in Canada embraced Jesus' mission to make disciples and multiply? You're part of the Canadian Conference of Mennonite Brethren Churches. Whether or not you realized it, you thought, oh, I thought I was just part of a church that meets in a blooming movie theater, and now they tell me I'm a Mennonite Brethren. Oh, no. And so... The CCMBC mission statement is, we exist to multiply Christ-centered churches to see Canada transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. So multiplication, multiply, leaders are grappling with it. It's becoming a bit of a buzzword, but why multiply? Acts 9.31 says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. If you've got a Bible app or you're capable of reading the Bible in the dark because God gave you infrared vision, I'm going to read a few verses from Acts 6. Acts 6 verse 1 through to Acts 6 verse 7. It's page 1093 in your stolen Gideon Bible. (laughs) Acts 6 1 says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So my translation says, number of disciples was increasing. That's kind of tame. It doesn't get after the exponential spiritual momentum that's beginning to be unleashed in the landscape in the pages of Acts. It was multiplying. Verse 2, 
So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would be not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables, brothers and sisters. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now here comes the punchline. Luke's fond in the book of Acts of describing an episode and then giving us a bookmark or a little summary statement, a little post-it note to describe missionally what's going on. And this is what it says in verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied or greatly increased, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So we see multiplication is a bit of a thread through the book of Acts. Initially, in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God is poured out in spectacular, game-changing fashion, and 3,000 people are added to their number. And there's a little summary statement, the back end of Acts chapter 2 by Dr. Luke, that says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. But then something changed. There was a seismic shift in the spiritual dynamics of the early church because they went from addition to multiplication. And multiplication is the key to kingdom advancement. If we're going to see a new day of gospel transformation, if we're going to see a new spiritual climate established in Canada, It'll require multiplication. Multiplication is the key to kingdom advancement. Roland Allen, in his book, wait for it, put your seatbelts on, the spontaneous expansion of the church and the causes which hinder it. Obviously, he didn't have a marketeer helping him write the book title. But the book is strangely prophetic from a dead old geezer because this is what he says. When the church is truly alive, spontaneous multiplication takes place and the spontaneous expansion of the church involves not merely the multiplication of Christians, but the multiplication of churches. Bob Roberts claims the future of faith in America. That's because he's an American. God bless America and no place else. (laughs) God bless America and build a wall. Please don't. Please do. So Robert says, speaking from an American context as a global leader, the future of the faith in America, and we'll say, and anywhere else in the world for that matter, including Canada, is not tied to planting more churches, but in the raising up of mother congregations of every tribe, tongue, denomination, and network that are reproducing like rabbits. Until that happens, we are only a dream waiting to happen. So Robert says, we need to get on multiplication, and we need to be at it like rabbits, reproducing rapidly like rabbits. Otherwise, we're just a dream. We're just asleep. So he dialed into the animal kingdom. He didn't pick an elephant because elephants have a gestation period of 22 months. That's a long time for little baby elephant to be in mama's tummy. Or a rhino. A rhino is a bit more supple. It's 16 months. But rabbits reproduce every 31 days. Yeah, go rabbits. (laughs) Now, for those of us who like science fiction, 
Star Wars is okay, but Stargate is okay, but it's all about Star Trek, baby. <laughs> Long life and prosper, Tarek of Vulcan. And so those of us who are Star Trek purists got hooked when they had a low-budget, really naff special effects, and the captain of the USS Enterprise was played by one of Canada's sons, William Shatner, who played James Tiberius Kirk, and his sidekick was half-human, half-Vulcan, Spock. And one of the vintage episodes was the trouble with tribbles. And at one point, the USS Enterprise gets overrun, overwhelmed by this alien life form, these cute, little, annoying, irritating, <laughs> rapidly reproducing life form. Eventually, Scotty transports them off. But at one point, they're baffled as to why tribbles reproduce so rapidly. But Dr. McCoy has an answer, and he says to Captain Kirk, Jim, they're born pregnant. <laughs> and that's the genius of multiplication. For a church to be born pregnant, Canada needs more church plants, but actually needs more church plants that will plant churches. My friend Norm Funk is the pastor of Westside Church, Vancouver. And in their nine or ten year history, uh, they planted Reality Church under the leadership of Chris and Susie Martins. They've launched a North Shore campus on the North Shore of Vancouver. They've launched Christ City Church out of Westside Church with Brett Landry. And while they launched that out, they dealt with the managerial issues of moving into the Ford Performing Arts Theater on 77 Homer Street, and they grew at the same time. But even as they're dealing with a huge mortgage in a wonderful world-class facility, Norm hasn't lost the passion for multiplication. He's got a couple of apprentices that are being incubated just now to plant out. And if you said to Norm, what's going on here? He'd sound like a treble. Because he says, we always want to be pregnant. Mark Pion is one of our planters in Quebec. He was a pastor's kid whose dad was a pastor's kid. So that's a double whammy, if ever there was one. I don't like a Tim Hortons double-double. But even worse than that is a PK double-double. <laughs> and so as a young adult... He's in this gospel-parched environment of Quebec, and he wonders if the gospel works anymore, especially in Quebec. And while he's wrestling with that issue, the Lord says to Mark, I want you to plant a church. And he says, Lord, I don't want to plant a church. And the Lord says to him, if you don't plant a church, you'll be like Jonah. Oh, I do not want to be disobedient to the call of God. He says, okay, Lord. So he steps out as a church planter, not infused with a high level of gospel optimism, but about as a five-year-old church. They're running about 400. They've planted another church in Iroway. They has church. The mother church is in Sherbrooke. They've dotted a congregation that launched last October in Sherbrooke. And in the past five years, they've baptized 160 plus new converts. It's messy, but it's glorious. 
And more than that, Mark has a crazy vision to see his province transformed by the power of the gospel. His transformed Quebec vision is to reach 25% of the population of Quebec with the gospel by the year 2555. How? By planting churches that plant churches. Mark has an audacious vision that the least Christian, least, least evangelized province of Quebec will become the most Christian. One of our C2C workers is Derek Parento. He's boots on the ground in northern Ontario. He's, he's involved in ministry in five First Nation reserves, and he does faith circles and discovery groups. Now, faith circles are really about obedience-based discipleship. So I visited uh, one of these faith circles, and you get into the scriptures, the story of God, and then you say, what has God said to you? And then the next question is, what are you going to do about it? So it's not about data collection. It's about hearing from God and obeying but also obeying like that rapidly. So we were in a Bible study somewhere in the Old Testament. I can't remember if we were in the life of Gideon. And so uh, Derek said, so what has God said to you? And one of the leaders said that we need to go and take lunch to Ron. So to me, that was a bit of an exegetical leap. Maybe from a, a giant loaf smashing the Midianites to, oh, let's go and take lunch to Ron, bring him a giant loaf. So I don't know how they got there. But they were saying, we've got to do it. So went into this gnarly basement of suite, and there's Ron in a wing-back chair. He's a skeletal, emaciated figure. He looks like a washed-out hippie. He's got a tie-dye shirt. He's got a do-rag on. He's got a gray, straggly beard. And he's got this horrendous animal called Diva. If ever a giant pit bull was misnamed, it was Diva. And Ron says, sit in that chair. But I discerned that that chair belonged to Diva, and I wanted to keep both legs. So I stood. And as we're engaging in spiritual conversation with Ron, I'm praying. I'm praying, Lord, open Ron's heart, and please, Jesus, don't let Diva smell fear. Amen. <laughs> so Ron says to Derek, I don't believe in God. I hate God. I'm not interested in God. And, and Derek says, how can you be mad at someone you don't believe in? And Ron goes, ping, wow. I still believe in God. And Ron's issue is he sat there amongst rows and rows of beer cans strewn all over his unkempt basement suite was he was a firefighter. And one day he pulled the charred remains of his son out of a fire. He saved others. He couldn't rescue his son. And he was plunged into a downward spiral of post-traumatic post-traumatic stress syndrome, and self-soothed by drinking beer incessantly. And in that quasi-numb state, in his darkness, brokenness, and pain, he says, maybe I still believe in God. Derek said, can I come back? He said, sure. So they began to study the Bible. And Ron's part of a, an, an addictive recovery group in the community. It's, uh, he's there, and they do their highs and lows. So what's your high, what's your low? Ron says, my high... I'm discovering more and more about Jesus. And Jesus is the most fantastic person I've ever encountered. I'm just amazed with Jesus. It's kind of echoing that hymn that says, I stand, I pray, amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And the truth of that and the power of that had grabbed his heart. So sitting in the circle, the sharing circle, is a mentally ill, unhinged, addicted person who's not a Christian. 
And he says to Ron, Ron, come here. And he has Ron kneel in the middle of the circle. And he says, I want you to pray this prayer because you need to pray this prayer now. And so this unhinged, unregenerate, psychotic man leads Ron in the sinner's prayer. And Ron gets saved. Wow. So that gives me hope. If Jesus can use an unsaved, mentally ill person, there's hope for the Scotsman. And there's hope for you. But if all Derek did was go and visit a Ron, go and visit a Ron, plant the seed, that would be glorious. But it wouldn't result in kingdom advancement. One of the things Derek is doing because he's a multiplying leader is he's developing lay pastors. He's developed an apprenticeship so that in each reserve, the big, hairy, audacious goal is that there would be two lay pastors who would be commissioned, spiritually recognized by the tribe, to serve the people. So that if Derek gets taken out, the work will continue. But this raises the question, why multiply? Which is the question I'm supposed to be answering this morning. Why multiply? Firstly, it's biblical. Jeff Christofferson says, a straightforward reading of the New Testament can lead to no other conclusion than the normal state of a kingdom-spirited congregation is to seek to provide opportunities for every person to come face-to-face with the good news of Christ with this high and eternal motivation. The biblical record illustrates a church that radically focused on multiplication. And we see this in Acts. We read that in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying. Acts 6 verse 1, Acts 6 verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So as a result of exponential kingdom advancement, a whole subculture was impacted with the gospel. Gobs and gobs of priests were hijacked by Jesus. Acts 9.31 says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Acts 12.24, But the word of God increased and multiplied. Now I've got the easy job because I'm just talking about why multiply. I'm giving you some reasons. But what we need to recognize, even if we stick down the why track, is the how. In the book of Acts, how did they multiply? It was an overflow of undiluted Holy Spirit empowerment, Jesus' inebriation, and spiritual passion. There was a white-hot spiritual passion. So multiplication isn't something you can just engineer. It's got to be a work of God. Now, the book of Acts is in your Bible not just to irritate you or tantalize you or antagonize you. It's a mission blueprint. It's God's dream that you and I wouldn't be self-absorbed individuals who think we've got a private, personal stairway to heaven. It's God's dream that we recognize when Jesus gets hold of us, we're his. We've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. And we live out what we were singing, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. And we live for him and we become agents of his kingdom, not in our power, no matter what gifts or talents he's given us, but dependent on the power and energy of the Holy Spirit. I think what Luke is doing in the book of Acts, because really we've got to read Luke and Acts together, kind of like one volume rather than separated. He's actually demonstrating that the early church got on board with the parable of the sower, the sower, the parable of the soils and the sower. 
where the sower goes out with seed, good seed, and engages in abundant sowing. And as he engages in abundant sowing, yeah, there's nightmares like Alfred Hitchcock, the birds. Birds come and gobble up the poor little seed. Oh no, here comes a horrible blackbird. Boom, it's gone. Then the thistles, the Scottish soil. It just chokes the life out of that miserable little seed. And then there's the rocky soil. And it gets scorched by the sun. And we go, oh, that's frightfully bad. And we focus on the bad news. But because of abundant sowing of seed, there's a multiplication of fruit. And so multiplication, spiritual multiplication, only happens through abundant sowing. And one of the spiritual secrets in the book of Acts, they weren't meager, miserly, Scrooge McDuck with the gospel. There's one wee miserable gospel presentation. Boom. They were lavish, extravagant in the planting of the gospel. Why multiply? To magnify King Jesus. A desire that the king is worshipped and exalted. The apostle Paul was a multiplying movement leader. And if you want to know what motivated him this afternoon, there's no hockey because Canada sucks this year. Uh, Look up. Romans 15, verses 14 to 22, and especially look at Romans 15, verse 16, because there he is, the movement leader, with an assignment to saturate the Gentiles with the gospel. And he says he wants to take the Gentile converts and offer them up like a priest as a sacrifice to God. In other words, out of worship and devotion to Jesus. The glory of God fueled Paul's passion for gospel, proclamation, for mission, and for multiplication. Worship is the reason, the fuel, the goal, and the glorious objective for our mission. Why multiply? Reason number three, to saturate Canada with the gospel. What do we need in our day? We need a supernatural visitation from God the Holy Spirit to propel us into a new day and a different day, to wake up sleepy Christians in sleepy churches and to invade us with the resurrection power of God, we, we need a visitation from God in an unprecedented fashion because Canada is a dark, broken mission field. And Canada won't be reached. Canada won't be discipled. The nations that are in the nation of Canada won't be made into disciples where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations in our own strength. We need a spiritual game changer. We need God himself to show up on the cultural stage of 21st century Canada in a way like we've never seen before. Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rip the heavens and come down and start a fire. That's kind of what we need to say to God. God, we pray that you would come. We know you're present because you're everywhere, but we want your manifest presence to be palpable in the villages, in the urban centers, in the suburbs, in the place of work, that you would show up and change our day. At the same time, on the ground, we need a commitment to multiplication if we're going to see gospel saturation. And as I said, Luke's fond of shoving these post-it notes in the book of Acts just to kind of say, okay, here's what was going on. And as they became a multiplying movement, he says in Acts 8.14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God. A whole region had accepted the word of God. They sent Peter and John to Samaria. 
Acts 19.10 says, This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, we just gloss over that. Boom. You know, we're doing our quiet time at 312 miles an hour. Have a coffee. Oh, because I need two mugs of coffee in the morning. Otherwise, I'm an atheist. So I have my two cups of coffee. But then if you speed read the Bible and gloss over things in a little detail. But reflect on that. This went on for two years. So that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. What would it take for the province of Alberta? Every person to hear the word of the Lord. That's kind of what they're saying. A whole region, a whole province, a whole significant territory. Jews and Greeks, religious, irreligious, philosophical, curious, God-fearers. The whole shooting match, they heard the word of the Lord. Fourth and final reason, why multiply to reach the lost. Not to extend the brand name. Why should Sun West be a multiplying church? Why should you add another service, launch more campuses across the city so that Sun West would be famous and people would say, We are at a famous church and our pastors are rock stars. Sucks to be in your church. No. <laughs> because that's the carnal spirit of competition that'll never get the job done. Lostness must fuel a commitment to multiply. Jesus was preaching in Matthew 9. He looks out at the crowd and he's moved with compassion. He's agitated in his guts with deep, deep concern. Why? Because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was agitated and motivated by lostness. He says in Luke 19.10, the man from heaven came to seek and to save that which was lost to rescue, lay claim to, transform those who are lost. Canada is lost and broken. Calgary is lost and broken. Your neighborhood, no matter what the house price value, the net worth of the individuals, densely populated with people who are either up and out or down and out. They're lost without God without hope in the world. I'm moving into my fifth year with C2C. Started March 1, 2012. Before I joined, I had like 10 interviews oh, as part of my onboarding. 10 interviews. Like my friend who became my boss, who's still my friend, God Fleming, I think he interviewed me four times. I met with someone at Starbucks who said, hey, I just want to check in with you, see how you're doing, what's happening in your soul. Little liar. He was there to interview me. It was a sneaky interview. Oh, you wasco. At least you paid for my Starbucks, you wasco. <laughs> so you have all these interviews, which is really smart, right? The best time to fire somebody is before you hire them. Uh, and you want to make sure that workers, employees, and missionaries are aligned with the vision and values. And don't just nod, yes, I like those values. But they actually somehow give expression to the values. So I had a meeting with the man who'd become my boss, our national director, Gord Fleming. And he said, I don't believe in job descriptions. And I said, hallelujah, I've come to the right place. I don't like job descriptions either. Because my mission statement is, don't fence me in, baby. You know, 
I think a job description can be a straitjacket when there's opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. Well, I do have a job description. Revenue Canada insisted on it, so I do have one. It's like three pages long. But God said, don't believe in job descriptions, but if you did have a job description, it would have three things in it. Number one, stick close to Jesus. Number two, pray that he will break your heart for lost people. And three, do whatever it takes to fulfill the mission. Now, that's such a freeing, lofty, energizing job description. If God allowed me to live to be 117 years of age and four months before I popped my clogs, that would still be a job description that stirs my heart. It's freeing, it's energizing, it's clear. But guess what? That's your job description, child of God. Friend, brother, or sister. That's your job description. Number one. All the multiplication is Charlie Brown school teacher, unless you and I have a living, dynamic, intimate, transforming friendship with Jesus the King. So, number one, stick close to Jesus. Number two, pray that God will break your heart for your neighbors, for your colleagues, for your community. Maybe even get out there and prayer walk and say, Lord, let me see this community with your eyes. Let me feel this place with your heart. And then number three, the fun and scary bit. Do whatever it takes. Worship team's going to come in and lead us in a song of response and worship. But as they do it, I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize and declare this morning that you alone are worthy of our lives, our worship. You're the only one. You're the king. You're the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. You're the rescuer who came to earth to invade a broken world and to turn things around and to kickstart the renewal of all things. We thank you that you came to this planet as the God-man, and lived a life of dazzling holiness, truth, beauty, and love. And you lived a life of full-on obedience to God the Father in our place for us. And we thank you that when you were impaled on the cross, that was no accident, but that was God's design. And we thank you that you took our sin, our death, our brokenness, our rage, our pain upon yourself. And because of that, we can be reconciled to the true and living God and be adopted as his sons and daughters. We thank you because you took our sin and death and judgment on yourself. We can be clothed with your righteousness. And we thank you that because God the Father saw fit to raise you from the dead, you can put your spirit within us to energize us, to live a life we could never even dream of. So we pray, Jesus, that you would haunt us and harass us and cajole us till we live fully for you. We pray by your spirit, even in these final moments, you would give us a revelation of your heart and your love and your power and your beauty. We say this in your great name. Amen.